Don't yeah. forget. Always. <clears throat> I feel like I have a little frog in your throat. Frog, froogy frog. But we like frogs, so that's cool. That's <laughs> true. I love frogs. That's the, right. the MILF sticker. Yeah, MILF. Man, I love frogs. <laughs> Welcome to the Moms for Social Justice podcast, where we talk about how you can make your community a more awesome place. In this episode, Mari leads us in a conversation about dress codes in schools. We discuss our own experiences with dress codes when we were kids and with our own children and how dress codes make kids feel ashamed or embarrassed of their own bodies, their culture or gender identity, or how they can work to safeguard a positive learning environment and make students feel accepted. We hope you enjoy this episode. Hello, MSJ. We're back with the Moms for Social Justice podcast. You may notice something a little different. Do we look more professional? More no, put we together? Sound, we sound more oh, professional. Right. <laughs> I don't know. I think we look more professional. <laughs> I also didn't have to worry about what my hair looked like this episode. So I like that. It is nice. Yeah, we got fancy new headphones. We do. Uh, we match. Mics. We do match. We needed to match. We're so we- cute. <laughs> we are cute. Can we just take a moment and appreciate how cute we are? Rosie, I love your shirt today. I know. Oh, thanks. Adorable. I got it at the like thrift consignment store. I'm on the hunt for more Hawaiian shirts. The problem is, you know, usually they're for men, so they're huge, and I don't right. sew. So, um, you know, if I did sew, I couldn't make cute ones myself. Anyway. If you're listening and not watching, Rosie has on a very colorful, tropical <laughs> shirt, which is, you know, not really fall themed, but we're hanging on to the last mm-hmm. uh, bit of summer because it's still 85 degrees. It's going to be 85 all so week. Okay. Yeah. And Mari, what does your shirt say? My shirt says, fund public schools. And it is from an awesome local organization called Unify Ed that is working to make our public schools here in Chattanooga more equitable. Um, I disagree with that. I agree with Billy. We should not fund public schools and we should not accept billions of dollars from the federal government. Well, uh, that's you're bad. kicked out of the podcast, Rosie. <laughs> it's been nice. Your shirt added a certain je ne sais quoi, but goodbye. Nice out. <laughs> you are the weakest link. That is... That is a throwback. Gen Z will be like, what are they, what are they talking about? That's okay. Uh, we are the Chattanooga Moms for Social Justice, a progressive grassroots organization based here in Chattanooga, Tennessee. And uh, our goal is to encourage parents to fight for social change right in their own backyard. And we do that, I guess we could say every day. We, we try to do it every day. And we've been at it for six years, which is really hard to hard to believe. So we like to start out our podcast with a little check-in and uh, finding out what is on our hearts. And then we'll kind of dive into our topic, which today is dress codes. We don't talk about dress Dress codes. codes. No. We are going to talk about dress codes. Yeah, we are going to talk about dress codes. (laughs) But a lot of people don't want to talk about Uh, Yeah, so... Rosie, what is on your heart? Um, okay, very exciting. There's a lot of like art challenges in October, and I have a lot of, I want to do them in theory, but I'm really busy. So I decided to do my own challenge, and if anybody else wants to join, let me know. Follow me on Instagram, Rosie Fitzgerald. Um, I'm doing a challenge called Restober, 
where you write out your like sleep routine, like your night routine for good sleep hygiene. So like mine is I take a bath. I uh, turn off screens at 1030. I've installed like an app blocker so I can't access social media because <laughs> I found like I'll go to my phone and say, oh, wait, I can't do that. I journal and um, I have to be in bed by 11 and then hopefully asleep by 1130. Usually I read in bed. The idea is that hopefully I will fall asleep faster and get better quality sleep and just more sleep. Um, and then the other part is to choose something every day that is either energizing or that you find restful whether maybe it's like a 20 minute nap or like engaging in your favorite hobby or doing some meditation or movement um, and being really intentional about it because I am not and I want to be better so I'm hoping that if I build up this these habits yeah that'll feel better and that I won't stay up until two in the morning watching love is blind (laughs) not that you've ever done that did you invent resttober I did. It's Rosie. my invention. Rosie's Restober Challenge. That. Yes. And I, yeah, I know it's hard. I felt like, I don't know, October's hard. We're busy. But also like having a good sleep routine, even if I don't, if I'm not in bed by 11, I can still go through like my routine. Like journaling has been really important, I think, and helpful for quieting my brain down enough for me to be able to fall asleep reasonably quickly. Let me know if you <laughs> let me know if you guys join and what yeah, you think. I love that and wish you luck in that. And it's interesting because we, you know, we develop sleep routines for our kids, you know, to get them in a in a restful place and ready for sleep. So I love the idea of building one of those for, you know, yourself as well. I'm going to take some inspiration there, Rosie. Yeah. I, will, I will join you in trying to create a sleep routine for Resttober. Thank you for that. Yeah, I love that. We can check in on our next episode and see how we're all doing. Okay, Taylor, what about you? What's on your heart? Oh, what what's on my heart is I recently reread The Giver. Ooh. Oh, because my fifth grade son really wanted to read it. He's recently gotten into dystopian fantasy. He read the Hunger Games series over the summer and it's kind of his genre of choice right now. But I wanted to reread it and refresh my mind on the themes and, you know, different things that we could talk about. And have you guys read that book? Yeah, Mm -hmm. I mean, it's been it's been a minute, but um, it has been a minute. It's, it's very, like, it's very beautifully written. It's kind of sparse in its description. Her word choice is so precise. It does enough to paint a picture of the world without being overbearing or overly descriptive. Yeah, and it's a very quick read, too. Yes. Um, if you want to jump back into it, it hits so hard, and it has stuck with me all week long. And it has uh, really made me appreciative of color. Because I don't know if you remember in that that landscape, Mm -hmm. the world is devoid of color. So I've really been able to take some intentional moments to appreciate that around us. Really, just in general, it it has given me this, this idea that, you know, if instead of shielding our kids and banning ideas and books from them, if we instead took the time to read those books and use the hard concepts and the hard ideas to have really interesting and hard conversations with our kids. We might be really amazed with some of the things that that come out of them. So I am really excited to have 
really interesting conversations with my son about this book. I'm really curious how it's going to hit him and if it's going to hit him as deeply and as hard as it has hit me reading it again as an adult. I love that. I love that you're reading it together too. That's so special. Oh, just an aside. When I was a kid, you know, those dumb things that you think of or that you think are true and when you're a kid, because all the sh- old shows were black and white, I thought the wor- the entire world was in black and white you know, my kids, before, like, the 1950s. Yep. Yeah, my kids think that, too. <laughs> so did mine. I, I'll never forget my middle son saying, when did the when did the world become color? They're <laughs> like, oh, no, we just got we just got film. But we just got better at better capturing the world. To, yeah, <laughs> process that. That's so precious. That is precious. Oh, yeah. I need to revisit that book. I'm pretty sure I read it in middle school and then... I think I did revisit it as an adult, but I think I was maybe in college or something. So I think it would hit even more differently now. And I know they made a movie, but it wasn't very good. I haven't uh, seen it. No, I haven't seen it either. Yeah, revisiting books, I think, is super valuable. Just like listening to music in different stages of your mm-hmm. life. Like, you know, yeah, stuff that you rocked out to as a teen. <laughs> and then you're like, oh, that wasn't actually applicable to my life at all. And <laughs> But it felt very important in the moment. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. Mari, what's on your heart? On my heart? um, Well, last night we hosted a virtual panel discussion called Running for School Board 101. And we invited some local women who ran for a local office and won. And then we had the amazing Gloria Johnson join us. Man, she's just such an inspiration. But all of these women were so inspiring, and it really it gave me hope, and it inspired me. I've pretty much decided that running and being an elected official is not my calling, but I, there were so many people in the chat during the conversation that sounded excited and felt, I think they felt that support that we wanted to show that we would give, because it really is scary. It's scary to say I'm going to run, and especially if you don't have a huge social network here um, or locally, it can be scary to think, well, no one, no one's going to care. No one's going to support me. So showing that Moms for Social Justice will be there for you is is huge, I think. And, And Rosie even volunteered, you know, to make a logo for design some things for folks for free. And I think it will I think it will inspire some folks to run. And it even if it doesn't, it's still Hearing the stories of those women who ran and their, you know, kind of why they decided to run and why they felt they needed to step up was really incredible. I didn't know a lot of them. I agree. It was it was awesome. And to your point, Mari, like I don't think, you know, just like uh, moving through a dungeon requires uh, different classes. You can't all just be warriors. We need mages, bards, <laughs> rogues as well. So it takes all types to run a successful campaign. So, yes, you know, they're, they're Rosie, I, I'm just going to put this out here. From now on, every podcast episode, if you do not reference like D&D or something nerdy, something nerdy, something nerdy. I'm going to be really disappointed. Um, my what, son found What it. class are you? Oh, what class? Um, I like, I usually like to play as like a, like a mage healy type class. I do like the support aspect as, yeah, I, I like it. But I, I, I honestly have played all classes. Like I like being up front and being a tank, probably being a tank. Which is the person who takes all the damage. Yeah. I'm getting really nerdy. <laughs> I love it. And then the support it. person who like does the buffs 
and um, the, you know, healing spells mm-hmm. and stuff. I, I like that too. Yeah, last night was really, uh, really wonderful as well to just hear taking that leap from having the thought in the back of your mind, maybe, maybe I can do this, maybe my voice uh, is important, maybe I can do something for my community. It's one thing to have that thought, it's another to take that leap and actually run for office and, and see these women who did that, who made that leap was just really, really inspiring especially to hear how all of their win margins were so narrow. They were so slim. Yes. Yeah. And we, mm-hmm. uh, I, you know, canvassing a lot of times when I knock on people's doors, I'll hear that people say that, you know, they don't vote or they're not registered because they really feel disheartened and feel like their vote doesn't matter. And that, that's the complete opposite of the, <laughs> the case. It really right. does matter. I think in our state, in our area or you know, sometimes looking at national politics too, it can feel very disempowering. But that's the magic of like local politics Mm -hmm. and local elections is that that's where you can have a big impact and wield a lot of power and yeah, have a big influence. And that those local elections will have a big influence on your own day-to-day life as well. So they're really important. Well, thank you all for sharing. I think think it's nice to start that way. And uh, so our topic is one that's, <laughs> I'm not passionate about at all. Just kidding. Uh, dress codes in schools, particularly. I want to start with hearing from both of you and maybe kind of giving a little bit of my background. Like, when you were in school, was there a dress code? Did it affect you at all? You know, what do you remember thinking about it? Were, did it just kind of not bother you? Were you angry? And then, because we're all mothers, how has the dress codes in your kids' schools affected you now and your kids. As as you all know, I went to a Catholic school for about eight years. So we wore uniforms, as you do in most, I think, all Catholic schools. And my parents didn't have a lot of extra money. Like a lot, their money was going to paying for our school tuition. You know, we lived in a very small house, so. I, I like distinctly remember going to the like secondhand uh, uniform sales that they would have in the school gymnasium before the start of the year and, and like making sure that we go to that. Uh, and I just basically lived in my couple of uniform pieces. I didn't really have any like I had a few clothes from Kmart and stuff, but it was mostly uniform because that's like where my parents money went. Um, and so then I remember when I went to uh, public like junior high in eighth grade that was like a selling feature of like you're gonna go to public school and we can go to the mall and get clothes and I was like oh what's American Eagle I don't know um so when I was in in high school and stuff I didn't really um I didn't run into any problems or anything um but I do remember you know going back to to Catholic school and wearing the uniform. I th- it's a it's really a difficult thing, but I do think it was beneficial in, in the way that, you know, my family didn't have a, a lot of extra resources and there were kids in my school that, that did. But when we were at school, except for um, wintertime, because I really wanted a starter jacket and my parents would not <laughs> let me get one. I remember starter jackets. <laughs> they were $100 and my parents were like, no, we're not spending $100. But, you know, the cool kids had it. Anyway... Um, yeah, and I remember like going over to kids' houses to play and like, wow, your house is like big and stuff. And you didn't feel that disparity as much at school, which is a positive thing. Um, but I'm sure, you know, the financial burden 
of just the cost of tuition and getting uniforms and stuff was a challenge for my parents. And how about now uh, with your two kiddos in public school? Have you been affected by it at all? Have they said anything? No, we haven't run into any issues yet, thankfully. Um, My kids are still young, and I feel like that's less of an issue when kids are young and becomes more of an issue once kids are interested in expressing themselves. I mean, the biggest thing is um, my daughter has is neurodivergent, and so she has some sensory issues. And so I've been like pulled aside, if you will, you know, by the teacher saying saying like, well, she won't wear her jacket or and I'm like, well, hmm. I can't, you know, I can't force her to wear. I can ask her to wear a jacket, but it's very uncomfortable for her. So it's not enforced necessarily. How about you, Taylor? Uh, what was your experience growing up? Rosie, you know, you talking about it really putting a spotlight on, you know, the economic hierarchy. I I remember that really distinctly as a child wearing off-brand Walmart clothes and, you know, they would try to make a they would make a brand name that sounded close mm. to the to the name brands like I'm going to age myself here my brothers had to wear brugel boy pants <laughs> as opposed to bugle boy so you know i remember feeling just personal embarrassment and feelings of you know being otherness i guess not having the name brand clothing that some of my my peers had i rem- as we got older you know the the length of the shorts became i guess that was the most important thing going on in our assistant principal's day because oh, he would the fingertips Yes, the fingertips, and he would line us up publicly. <gasps> which I, so I remember, like shame was a big part Oof. of the dress enforcing the dress code that you would be, you know, publicly called out if your shorts were too short and sent home. And it was a man that did this. Oh yeah, Prince Principal oh. Hanky. I mean, this was back when no, it's still his name was Hanky. Oh, it was. Yeah, not to name names, but to call out this specific horrific principle <laughs> I, I'm sure um, God rest his soul Mr. Hankey's no longer He's with us probably yeah <laughs> but um, that the, I also don't feel a, a whole lot of personal Mr. Hankey paddled me in his office <gasps> so uh, there's no love wow. lost there well I had a choice so I was late a lot this is not <laughs> related work. to dress codes I was late a lot <laughs> shocking shocking no one and so I had a choice between detention at 6.30 a.m. or being paddled. And I chose being paddled. So I guess you could say that you know, well, it's you, my own fault. But If you had chosen 6.30 a.m. detention, you might have been, been late. late for- <laughs> Most definitely. I would not have made 6.30 a.m. detention. But, but I guess getting back on topic, for me personally, I think one of the most difficult things for me is I was large-chested as a teenager, and there was strict rules about your bra strap being visible. It's it wasn't it was also not an option for you not to wear a bra, which I think is becoming um, a point of contention with with kids now, whether or not they they feel like they're compelled to wear undergarments. So like, there's just this weird double standard, like you can't, you have to wear the undergarment, but you can't see the undergarment. So weird. And for, so weird. for large chested teenagers, that I think is a, a struggle and also a source of embarrassment. And it was for me. Yep. 
A hundred percent. And since you uh, have two boys in public school right now, I know you have a daughter, but she's not quite there yet. Have you experienced anything now with with dress code or, you know, I know length of shorts may not matter so much, but I know that uh, one of your sons, you know, likes to express himself a little bit differently than what is the quote unquote. And I know you've experienced some issues with that. I wouldn't have thought that dress code issues would be a thing for us to deal with and certainly in elementary school, but I've been sort of surprised that we've had to deal with some some of those questions. My older son, yeah, he presents a little bit differently. He likes to wear bright colors, pink, and and he likes to wear sparkly jewelry sometimes. And recently he has uh, begun to paint his nails. He likes to paint his nails. And he wants to get his ears pierced for his birthday. Now, as we've been kind of talking with the, some of the school officials about some of the challenges he's run into with peers because he presents mm. a little bit differently, it has been suggested that he may need special permission to wear earrings to school, which is a really, really interesting thing to me, why we would have a double standard for yes. for boys who present a little mm-hmm. bit differently. And it just made me think that you know, elementary schools, I think, are going to have to spend a little more time figuring out how they're going to support and make our kids who who are a little different feel included and mm-hmm. feel like they belong because that's the motto of, of our schools, right? That everyone belongs. Mm-hmm. Well, then we need to create environments where everyone feels like they belong. Exactly. Oh, for sure. You know, if, a, if girls can wear dresses to school, boys should be able to wear dresses to school. It's, right. Shouldn't be an issue. And 100%. same with the earrings. Yeah. And yeah. painting your nails. Painting and, your nails. You know, Long and hair. And that's the thing. Like, we know we can't keep other kids from making fun of someone or, or saying an offhand comment but it's the culture of the school and it's how teachers treat students that maybe present a little differently or um, you know break the dress code rules I think that really sets the tone for how students feel and if shame is a big part of it or not uh, so for me I went to school in East Tennessee that's where I grew up and we had a very similar dress code to what my kids have now and here in in Chattanooga and it was a constant source of anxiety for me I don't I don't remember them lining us up but I I know for sure that you know when we would walk into a classroom you know instead of the teacher being concerned with you know maybe like are their clothes clean like do we need to potentially step in and and help this kiddo out if they don't have a good home situation something like that they're thinking, you know, mm, those shorts look a little too short. Uh, so I, now, as an adult, I feel for the teachers having to, in my opinion, waste time dealing with that. But yeah, I also had a larger chest, still do, and and dealing with that was was really difficult. And in in the '90s and early 2000s, oversized T-shirts were not in, so everything was was tight. Mm. And Mm. if I wanted to wear a V-neck, it showed cleavage no matter what. Like I, I, you know, and then we would layer with the tank top underneath with the little lace and it still would. Yeah. And I remember boys uh, wadding up 
little pieces of paper and throwing them down my shirt. And the teacher, teacher is, uh, I don't know that I would call him a teacher. He was a coach. (laughs) He saw it and laughed and did nothing. And I remember going home and crying and like trying to figure out a way to like make my shirts go up higher and being like, I guess I can't even wear this stuff that's in. I need to wear like turtlenecks in the summer. And again, that was something that the students did. But it was reinforced by the teacher by not doing anything and kind of just thinking it was funny. Um, So that made me very upset. And then now (laughs) some of those feelings have been coming up lately with my my children. Um, My daughter is about to go into middle school. And so, yeah, they didn't really enforce uh, the dress code as much before this year. But they have started to. And my daughter is definitely like me and that she is a rule follower and wants to do the right thing and doesn't want to get in trouble it's been really nerve-wracking for her she's also tall which I did not deal with and so shorts you know that Mm -hmm. they sell in the The stores right so she's wearing Bermuda shorts which like just those are name Bermuda shorts those aren't cute (laughs) (laughs) like they're fine but if she like she can't just wear the comfy like moisture wicking you know athletic shorts because they're too short as we mentioned in the beginning it's 85 degrees or hotter here even in we're about to be in October it's been very frustrating she's felt shame about it she has noticed that it's geared toward the the girls Mm -hmm. Um, in her school and saying how unfair it was. And she actually wanted to do her speech last year on it. They could do uh, soapbox speeches where they could talk about something they were passionate about. And she asked if she could do it about the dress code. And the teacher said, for or against? And she said, against. And the teacher said, no, you can't (gasps) do that. What? I know. And after seeing some of those speeches, they were on gun violence. And I mean, they were, it wasn't just like, you know, homework and no homework. Right. You know, they were serious topics. And that, that was very interesting. Well, you know, I think it, it really begs the question, like, what are we telling our young girls when we talk about shorts that are too short, that there's something about their legs that are obscene mm-hmm. or and well and just like the way that clothes are designed for girls like the shorts are short right you can't find um you can't find longer length shorts or they're really difficult to find or you have to find bermuda shorts there's um a super famous she's like the best um ultra you know female ultra runner in the world the best one of the best ultra runners in the world courtney dewalter And when she runs, she wears like basketball shorts, basically, and like bigger, bigger shirt shirts. And um, that's just what she feels comfortable in. And and she actually um, one of the sports company, Solomon, like she designed shorts that are more in line with like the length and stuff that she likes that you can go buy now. But that is so rare. Um, And I I noticed that when I was buying shorts for my, my daughter, I think Target had has some options for slightly longer mm-hmm. like they call them midi shorts maybe um but it's it's very limited um and it especially is. if you want to you know as your kids get older and they want to be on trend just like how you were struggling mari with trying to fit in and match the current styles and not get things thrown down my 
Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Oh. Yes. Getting your bot like you have to have like the right body type or you might get in trouble for not adhering to the dress code. And it's so restrictive and limiting over something that you have little to no control over. Right. And it feels so unnecessary to me. Our school recently had a, a committee to talk about the dress code. And I was excited to be a part of it because I thought, oh, we're going to be making some big changes. And really, it was more they wanted, um, it wasn't being enforced across the board consistently, which I, I understand is an issue. And I'm sure, you know, as our community mentioned, we, we posed a question in our community group about dress codes and how people felt about them. And we know that um, people with larger bodies tend to, uh, you know, get called out more on dress code. And it's just like we were saying, like, whether you're tall or short, or you have a larger body or a larger chest, all factors into how clothes fit on you. Especially when we, you know, it's not fair. We know that a lot of plus size clothing costs more. It's harder to find. It's not on trend a lot of the time. So there's so many barriers, but it was very interesting hearing other parents talk about it. And the the one that struck me the most was the idea of, of leggings and that kids can't girls, let's be honest, they can't use gendered language in the actual dress code, I believe. That's that's illegal. But what we know who they're targeting. They, yes. We know who they're targeting. Uh, so yeah, you, you have to wear a shirt that covers your backside and your front completely if you wear leggings, which I'm like, I'm not sure if you've been into a store, but yes. that's what everyone's wearing. Yep. Yes. Well, and I remember when leggings first became a thing, people were complaining about it for that very reason. Like, oh, they're just wearing, you know, tights. tights. Or, yeah. Yeah. But okay. Now, what's we, wrong with wearing tights? <laughs> like, I think, you know, I what was it next in, fa- in fashion. Um, Tan was talk- talking about like, yeah, underli- underwear lines. They're fine. Like, right. it's okay if they show. All it is, is it means you're wearing, wearing underwear. underwear. Thank goodness. <laughs> Oh my gosh, the fights I have with my boys to wear underwear, y'all. Oh, wow. I have I have those same fights too with my daughter. Oh, okay. <laughs> That's one I haven't had to deal with, so I guess I should count myself lucky. But yeah, um. what's uh what's going to happen if the kid in front of you or behind you sees your underwear line? I'm like, what are we telling our And that's I think what drives me the most bananas about it is that we are enforcing from a very young age that our boys have no self-control our girls are responsible for boys thoughts and boys Mm -hmm. feelings they have to you know police their bodies to to protect themselves from the thoughts and feelings of their peers to me that we are teaching that from such a young age how do we expect them to unlearn that when they are in um you know older age brackets where we can't tell our our young women how you dress it doesn't matter how you dress you're not asking for sexual assault if we if we taught them that from a very young age yep Beyonce helped me unlearn that no because for real I that was that was enforced for for me also obviously like in a catholic school you know you need to cover cover modesty. up modesty knees. yes and um and so I struggled for a long time with slut shaming and mm-hmm. I would judge other women or girls for 
showing too much of their mm-hmm. body. It was Beyonce's 2013 visual album. <laughs> but she was talking about how um, women should feel empowered to show um, their bodies. And, and she, especially as a newer mother, had worked very hard to get her body to look the way that she wanted wanted it to look and she wanted to show it off. Rosie, do you feel that that changes the way that you talk about other women in front of your daughter and your son? I have wrestled with the question of, well, what do I do when my son or presumably my daughter maybe wants to dress more provocatively? I honestly don't know exactly what I'm going to do yet because I do think, you know, for learning environments for professional environments, I think some sort of dress code is important um, as far as putting everybody on a, on a like level playing field. Um, I think it's a very nuanced topic. And I, that was one of the things that I found really interesting from our um, community, you know, comment thread is, you know, we had parents weighing in, teachers weighing in, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, with, with varied ideas on this topic and, to your point, Rosie, a few of the parents and teachers said that uniforms were really helpful in school for that reason, that it just mm-hmm. sort of created a, a level playing field for everyone. But then you have to talk about, and Rosie, you talked about this in, in your childhood, that presents an economic barrier. Um, right. Well, and I think that's like, that's my biggest issue with dress codes is that they don't always give a purpose and so it does, like, it leaves people to wonder, you know, um, is it because my body is shameful? Do, you know, why do we have dress codes? Before that committee meeting that I attended over the summer at our school, I wanted to find out what was the first dress code? What, did, what was the reason? Um, and I've, I found it really interesting uh, that it had to do with censorship, which is such an interesting oh, topic wow. nowadays. Such a Imagine that. Right. So the first school dress code law was in 1969 by the U.S. Supreme Court. Um, and the case was Tinker v. Des Moines Independent School District. And let's see, it says it involved several high school students who wore black armbands to school in a planned protest against the Vietnam War. No shit. Yeah. That is awesome. <laughs> right. So, um, you know, they just they say it's a far reaching decision, you know, which I assume means people had interesting things to say about it. Um, but they decided schools can limit student expression if there's a legitimate concern that the expression will be disruptive to the learning environment or violate the rights of others, which I can understand the latter part, but the other part feels very subjective. And oh, and that absolutely. to me is why I did a little research and found a really neat dress code that I that I thought was a fantastic blueprint. And it starts out with the dress code philosophy. It says that this this uh, Evanston Township High School student dress code supports equitable education educational access and is written in a manner that does not reinforce stereotypes. To ensure effective and equitable enforcement, school staff shall enforce the dress code consistently and in a manner that does not reinforce or increase marginalization or oppression of any group based on race, sex, gender identity, gender expression, sexual orientation, ethnicity, religion, cultural observance, household income, or body type and size, which I feel is really cool. And of course, I sent that to our school and 
was met with crickets. And I understand that not everyone is going to, you know, feel super comfortable with that kind of language. Uh, but I don't understand why, though, because that yeah, sounds wonderful either. to me. I mean, I know, again, in our community thread, uh, people were talking about instances of uh, black girls and black women's hair being, you know, mm-hmm. it can only be a certain way. And I'm like, well, if you have braids, how is that disruptive? to the to the learning environment now I certainly right. understand not allowing maybe uh t-shirts or sweatshirts with certain logos Profanity or words on or, it or right. yeah or, or you know some uh gangs will uh, affiliate with a mm-hmm. particular sports team um and but then that's like very school specific obviously right right it's if it's not hindering the learning environment then why is it uh against the the dress code or, you know, even things like, like do-rags are frequently banned, which that is just <laughs> protecting somebody's hair. It's a lot of effort <laughs> to, mm-hmm. to, to, to put into doing hair. And, and if you don't feel like doing it because you want to get to school on time or whatever, like that should be allowed. It's not distracting. Exactly. Yeah, that just feels so racially coded. It is. You know? Oh, 100%. We looked at a few statistics before this episode and... You know, 93% of schools have some sort of dress code policies and 44% enforce a strict dress code. And I mean, that's that's a lot, you know, so I feel like it, it behooves us to interrogate these and not do the whole it's always been done this way. Mm-hmm. Let's just yep. keep doing it, even though it's, you know, reinforcing stereotypes and, you know, making it harder for, you know, black and brown students especially you know female presenting students to learn and it's interesting because I feel like the purpose is so that kids can be in a better learning environment and less distracted and I feel like it's ending up potentially doing more distracting if it's too restrictive yeah your shorts are too short so we're gonna paddle you singling children out oh the paddling that's gone now, right? We, didn't we get rid of that like just a couple of years ago? Right, yeah. Well, one of the really interesting comments was saying, if a school system has a uniform dress code and students have a difficult time complying, the system is mandated to find clothing for the student. Oh, okay. Interesting. Which I'm sure most people don't know. And I wonder yes. if that could be an issue with maybe why schools don't, some schools don't have uniforms. It's just so interesting because I feel like the counter is like, you want our kids to feel like they have the freedom to express themselves. It's like, but then we're also going to say you can't express yourself in these 10 ways. So good luck with that. I just, I almost feel like the, you know, the solution might be some type of uniform, you know, something like khakis and a solid colored shirt or or something, you know, because I don't think we're going to change the opinions of staff and administrators that come up with these in the next you know however many years to realize do you want to wear dresses or have earrings or an underwear line showing is not going to prevent anyone's learning progress is much slower than we want it to be and so I want you know I wonder if uniforms could be the answer but if maybe that's just like a line item on on the budget that we're going to take away all of this time worrying about enforcing a dress code and disciplining and calling parents and sending notes home. And we're going to focus on learning and, 
you know, we're going to have we're going to have uniforms that we can we can potentially provide. And to and to that point, you know, under federal law, it, you cannot discriminate or restrict a student from wearing something that aligns with the gender that they want to present as or their race, religion or like other protected characteristics. Now, just because this is illegal doesn't mean that all the schools right? know it that. Happen. Right. Wait, what? I didn't know that. <laughs> I pulled up some like stories. There was a uh, North Carolina principal who suspended a high school uh, student, a girl, and attended her from attending graduation because she wore a slightly off shoulder top to school. Um, Not the shoulder, the dreaded <laughs> how shoulder. Dare, how dare you? What's what's We're next? Like... The ankle? <laughs> no. Stop. There was another um, assistant That's principal outrageous. in Texas who drew on a black boy's head in permanent marker to cover up a shaved design in his hair, which is outrageous. Oh, hell no. I mean, like, if, wow. if somehow, I don't know, let's let's say worst case scenario, the shaved des- design is like the word fuck or something like that. Well, like, we can cover it up, like, with a hat. Or <laughs> Which is probably against the dress code. <laughs> or, yeah. <laughs> or, yeah, or, like, say, hey, you know, you need to pick up your son and he needs to change. Yeah. He can't. But that like, sounds like, yeah, that sounds like that. And then in Texas. Has some issues with. Oh. <laughs> Shaved boundaries, <laughs> no doubt, no doubt. Um, it, and also in Texas, a transgender uh, girl was told not to return to school until she followed the school's dress code guidelines for boys. So all of oh. those are illegal. You can't do uh-huh. that, right? Um, but that doesn't mean that school districts and principals mm-hmm. and teachers yeah. won't try. Um, and and put in their own beliefs on students. 100%. And, you know, and it's worth it to have these conversations and to to look at these dress codes because we have this, you know, entire generation of parents where a lot of us are teaching our kids that things like clothing do not have gender assignments. Like, clothes don't have genders. The The idea that we will have kids of, of all types wanting to wear all different types of things. You know, they're, they're going to have to really take a hard look at these dress mm-hmm. codes and how they're enforced and how, um, you know, going back to the beginning of, of our conversation, if they're creating an environment where all kids feel a sense of belonging and mm-hmm. feel included no, no matter how they present themselves. Yep. Yeah, you know, to your point, Taylor, if the, the teachers are enforcing what the students are making fun of or pointing out as being weird or different or wrong all the all the other students are going to feel that way yeah, it's a tricky topic and i think that's kind of what we want to do on this podcast we want to talk about some of these things that we experience and that most folks are experiencing and maybe look at some of the you know look at what our community is saying and and talk about it amongst the three of us because we feel like nuance is really missing in a lot of our public discourse today. I think uh, the internet has <laughs> helped with that and, uh, you know, uh, character limits on tweets. <laughs> Moms for Social Justice believes kids should go to school naked. I mean... <laughs> No, no. <laughs> You're just asking to dis- stung with a stung by a bee on the playground. Um, <laughs> oh, 
<laughs> no, but I think to your point, yeah, yes. we're saying that we understand that school that dress codes are beneficial, but I think it's important for school districts and other, you know, individual schools mm-hmm. to recognize the difficulties or limitations of their own like student population financially, socially, yep. cult- culturally, right. and write codes that are inclusive and do not mm-hmm. make kids feel othered. What we're asking for is what culturally responsive dress codes. Yes. Yes. Exactly. Is that too much to ask? Apparently. Apparently it is. <laughs> Apparently it's too much. <laughs> yeah. This has been a really interesting conversation. I'm glad we, I would love to hear what other folks who are listening think and what their experiences have been. And if, you know, if they have children in their lives, what their experiences has, have been. And I, you know, I do hope that we see a shift. The only way to see a shift is to be that shift. Be the change. And, you know, be the change you wish to see in your dress code. Run for a school board. (laughs) I mean, it is kind of a full circle moment. If you have questions about this, you know, the dress code in your kid's school, maybe, you know, talk to the administrators. And if we can get folks to start interrogating some of this, um, and and I like I said before, I really think the important thing is why. Why are we doing this? Mm-hmm. If there are good reasons and it keeps people safe, great. Mm-hmm. Love that. If it's just because it's always been there, let's let's look at that a little yeah. bit more. If it's if it's reinforcing um, shame and and laying the foundations for rape culture, then maybe we should reexamine yeah, it. Maybe we shouldn't be doing that. Schools. So thank you all for joining us with this uh, nuanced conversation about dress code and all kinds of misinformation out there. And we hope you'll join us for another episode. And uh, we just want to remind everyone that moms get shit done. That oh, is we our, do. That's our tagline. <laughs> We're not going to say it together, though. That's weird. Nope, because we tried it and it was very awkward. <laughs> So we'll see you soon. We hope this episode encourages you to examine dress codes in your own school district and see if they're actually serving students or not. And if they're not, maybe you can do something about that. Um, Moms for Social Justice is a 501c4. If you would like to support our work, you can find a donation link on our website, momsforsocialjustice.us. And you can find us on all the places, Instagram, Facebook, all that. Thanks for listening.